The following message was presented during the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries 2017 Prophecy Conference season. Now here's Steve Herzig with a message from Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 28. Daniel's Stand for Truth. We're doing Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Uh, you know, this chapter is probably one of the most noted. I mean, most people know Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, it's a very familiar narrative. Uh, it's interesting that more people know about one day that Daniel spent in the lion's den than they do about the lifetime that he was faithful to God and faithful to the rulers over him. It's interesting to me. One day. That, that tells us something. You could be known for one thing you do, positive or negative. Certainly in our culture today, no matter how many bad things you do, uh, and you do one good thing, all of a sudden you're Mr. Somebody, and the opposite is true as well. And so, uh, it, as I said, it concludes the narrative section of the book. The gold of Babylon is going to be gone at the end of chapter 5. It reads like this, that the, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So we're now moving from the gold to the silver. Silver's less costly than gold. Uh, Media Persia is less autocratic than Babylon. Uh, and so we now go into the last narrative. And in the first part of chapter 6, it said it, Please, Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. So, the prominence of, da of Daniel is seen as he serves now Darius. And so, I want to give you an idea of organization. Darius had to organize. Uh, and he didn't want uh, lo losing economic or any kind of power. And so he put people in place so that he would not suffer loss. Organization is critical. Now, Jim Showers, you're around here somewhere, Jim, aren't you? I think. Oh, maybe he's not. Oop. The boss left. Okay. All right. So he's not even here. I asked if I could take a picture of his office. This is Jim Showers' office. And I'm, I'm telling you, in fact, when I asked him, there actually was a, a piece of paper, I mean a, a paper file on the desk. He said, let me clean it up before you take the picture. <laughs> There's only one little folder. So that's the way it normally looks. And if you don't believe me, ask, ask anybody on staff. I mean, that's, that's his office. Jim Showers is the executive director of Friends of Israel. And so there has to be order. He, he has, he's got files on top of files. And so you got to admire that. He's like Darius. He wants to make sure that Friends of Israel is secure. Now, under Jim Showers are several people. I happen to be one of them. I'm one of them. I direct the work in North America ministry. So I want to show you my office. <laughs> now, I didn't make this up for you. You could ask anybody in our office, and that's actually a good day. That's a good day. Now, I'm directing the work of North America Ministries. I do know where... Notice Daniel's here, if, if you notice. I'm working on Daniel. I'm making sure that I, that I, you know, got all my... everything in order because I'm supposed to speak. 
And so, now, is Jim Showers nervous? You, you gotta be. Yeah, I mean, look at how orderly he is. He's got me. Look at that desk. He said, North America Ministries, we're, we're in huge trouble. But fear not. Remember, I told you I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. But fear not, because that's Einstein's office. I'm feeling pretty good. Are you kidding me? In fact, I think I need to mess mine up more. That is pretty good. Look, by now, Daniel's in his 80s. He has served under Nebuchadnezzar. Under Nebuchadnezzar. Now he's under Darius. There are three presidents. And he rose in his 80s. He's, he's really the number one guy. He's the number one. It says... Uh, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors, the satraps, because of an excellent spirit. If you go back to chapter 5, in verse 11, it says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Wow. That's Daniel. Drop down to verse 14. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you. Look, Daniel's an 80-year-old man, has served faithfully. He doesn't have an agenda. He, he's got no agenda. Ah, but we'll find that in politics, oh boy. Boy, I'm telling you, chapter 6, you could string it over the, the White House in Washington and the Congress in Washington. People trying to stab each other in the back, everybody claiming, wanting to jump all over each other. Look, he's one of three presidents. He has the seniority and the superiority of everybody else. He is, he is an amazing person. He's prominent, and he is known and respected. You have to be respected if the CEO keeps an underling when he comes in. Usually when CEOs come in, they take the other people and you're gone, and they bring in their own. I'm a sports fan. If you follow a team, a new GM or a new manager comes, oh man, doesn't matter what you did before, they got to bring in their own people. There's a clean, clean out that happens. So we have Daniel uh, in that sweet spot, so to speak. So um, very capable and high character. But there's a plot against him because that's what politics is about. So the governors in verse 4 and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Daniel was doing his job. The people around him didn't like it that he was doing his job, and they're trying to get him, and they can't find anything on the guy. They can't find anything. You know, that's the way it is for us today. You see different individuals who are minding their own business, and I, told, I think I told this group I'm a Tim Tebow fan. They're always looking to find stuff against Tim Tebow, and he's no perfect guy, but, I mean, of all the people to try to go after, 
Uh, it's kind of crazy, but that's what they were doing uh, against uh, Daniel. And so it says, so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge, couldn't find it. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So the governors and the satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius lived forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing so that it may be uh, changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So what happens? You've got Daniel who's pure, Daniel who's innocent, Daniel who is faithful to Darius, has been faithful in Babylon as a Jewish person, faithful to, to what his charge is, they are now going to find something on him. And what do they find? Just his faith. Just his faith. Through the years, I've heard stories of people in businesses who people have gone after their faith. Nothing else but just go after it. So is the case here. He was impeccable, above reproach. And so they petitioned Darius, the law of the Medes and the Persians, very important. Once the king makes a decree, not even the king can change it. That's going to be prominent uh, as we look in, uh, as you read the book of Esther. Uh, once the decree is made, not even the king can change it. And so Daniel now knows that he's in trouble. This is a decree. The king has signed it. He'd be fully aware that the king has signed this. And so what's he going to do? He, he's Jewish. He is not going he's not going to bow before a king. He's not going to do any of that. So what does he do? He does what he always does. Here's a question for you. If you knew that Jesus Christ was coming tomorrow, tomorrow, what would you do? That, I, I remember in Bible college, we, we talked about that scenario, and I remember one of the professors saying, I would do what I always do. I would do what I always do. I thought about that. Faithful. Faithful. Some of us would be praying, but that would probably be the first time we prayed in maybe a few days, maybe weeks. But he would do what he always did. Daniel did what he always did. Well, what, what did he do? Well, he prayed, but he always prayed. In Judaism, it teaches three times. By the way, Judaism as well as biblical Judaism, rabbinic and uh, biblical Judaism. You pray three times. There's places in the scripture that talk about that. Uh, uh, Psalm 55 and verse 16 and 17 talks about praying in the evening. The mo and no, it says evening first because when, it's, when the sun goes down, it's already the next day. So evening, morning, and noon. Three times a day. Daniel did what he normally did. And he prayed facing Jerusalem. There's numerous places in the Old Testament scriptures where it talks about facing towards Jerusalem. And so wherever you are at uh, 
and there's a Jewish community, you go to a synagogue, the congregation will always be facing the direction that Jerusalem is. Always. Always, always. And that's what Daniel did. Hey, you bow down to anybody else, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel, faithful guy, I can't, can't do that. I'm going to do what I normally do. So he prays, and he prays facing Jerusalem. But he doesn't kneel. Uh, he does kneel, but normally we don't kneel, uh, which is interesting. Today, uh, the rabbis say that according to Leviticus, uh, the idea of idols, in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 1, Jewish people don't kneel today because they don't want to bow to idols. But he kneels. He prays to Jerusalem. The prayer of Daniel in verses 10 and 11. Now, in verses 12 to 17, we have the prosecution of Daniel. Verse 12. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show the due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that is of the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Okay. So we got Daniel who's praying, who's doing what he normally does, and uh, we've got the king who's now confronted with the law. Notice in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have to do that. Nebuchadnezzar could have changed his own, his own law. Oh, I made that law, it's gone, I'm doing another. But the Medes and the Persians, less autocratic, uh, less power than Babylon, were now in the silver, and he couldn't do it. He was limited. Uh, the king, the ruler, was limited by the law of the Medes and the Persians. He knew Daniel was his best guy. He knew it. He liked him. But he had signed this decree, probably because it sounded really good, tickled his ears, and now he's in a dilemma. What is he going to do? There's nothing he can do. And so he realizes that uh, he would have to put him in the lion's den. And so the charges stand, the uh, decree is a changeless decree, and so now in verses 18 to 28, Daniel's going to be put in the lion's den. Throws him into the den. And in verses 18 on it says, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from before him. So, the king is in duress. He's in duress. He's very upset. So, no supper. Man, you got to be in duress, duress not to eat. One of my favorite things is eating. 
Jewish people, one of our very favorite things to do is to eat. When I uh, visit my, used to visit my parents, my father's deceased now, but when I used to go there and we would go out to eat, I'd meet my parents' friends. As they're eating, as they are eating, they're discussing where they're going to eat their next meal. <laughs> and I used to laugh at that. And when, on the way back home, I would say to my parents, you know, that has to be a sign of getting old when you're talking about where you're going to eat while you're eating, and they chuckled. But now my wife and I are in a restaurant. <laughs> I took her to a French restaurant down in Philadelphia. We spent the day in Philadelphia, and it was wonderful. And we were, I was, not her, I, I was discussing, oh yeah, what are we going to do for supper? <laughs> no supper. The king can't eat. He doesn't have his appetite. No music. No music. You know, I was raised in an Orthodox synagogue. And music in Judaism, and by the way, we've, we've had some joyous Israeli music that played. Uh, and just a reminder to buy uh, John's CD because it's Israeli music. A lot of it's uh, really upbeat. And, but in Orthodox synagogue, there's no instrumentation. Zero. Why? Music means joy. Musical instruments means joy, and the temple's destroyed. So from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, there's never going to be instruments until the temple is rebuilt, and there's full joy. Just a little bit. So the king, he's not Jewish, but he doesn't want no symphonies for him. No music. No supper, no symphonies, no sleep. No sleep. He can't sleep. Because Daniel, his favorite, really, it's, he's, it's his favorite, He's in that lion's den, and he is so upset, so he didn't sleep. But contrast, the Bible doesn't say, the king can't sleep. But I believe there's somebody who had a great night's sleep, and his name is Daniel. Think about that. I wonder, as the storm is going on, how many believers were able to sleep. Now, that's not a criticism. I do have an example. When Sandy hit, Sandy hit New Jersey, uh, my mother-in-law at that time, she's deceased now, but she lived with us 10 years, and she was in our house during that time. We were without electricity. I kept running back to her room. Mom, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm, f I'm fine. I, I was, like, hysterical. Uh, I'm running around, checking... Are we going to flood out? Because it was, it was kind of crazy, even in the eastern part of, of Pennsylvania. Uh, when the storm hit overnight, we checked on her, sound asleep. Sound asleep. Why? At this stage in her life and in her walk with Christ, so what? What's gonna, what, am I going to die? Is that... Is, <laughs> good, good. Think about that. So I don't know what your tribulation is, your fear, your... Think of Daniel. The king couldn't sleep, and there was no lions for him. Daniel probably slept like a baby, just like a baby. So, he's protected. Um, it goes on. Uh, king went to the palace, spent the night fasting, musicians brought before him, no sleep. Then the king rose early in the morning. I don't think it was a problem to rise early in the morning. I think he was up all night, 
He might have been laying down, but he rose up early. He probably checked his watch and said, man, I'm getting there now. The law's okay. I've got to go see what happened. So he went in haste to the, uh, to the den of lions, and when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel, and the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, have, uh, been able to deliver you from the lions? That's the question. Daniel, you okay? And you wait. Thumbs up from Daniel. Amazing. Amazing. To the king's delight, Got there, Daniel, of course, is fine. When we think of Daniel chapter 21 and 22, we think of Daniel's delight. His delight. He epitomized the hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. You know that hymn? Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Only in this case, the arms and hands of God closed the mouths of the lions. Daniel was safe and secure from all alarms. Uh, let me, I forgot to do this. There we go. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 33. Through faith, it says. There's a number of things illustrated in verse 33, and one of those is through faith, the lion's mouths were closed. Through faith, the lion's mouths are closed. Look, as believers and unbelievers are going through the stuff in Florida, I can't tell you that through faith, the winds won't do any damage. It's not true. But I can tell you that through faith, they can look the storm in the eye, be fearful, but have a sense of comfort in knowing you're in the arms of the Lord. And isn't that what some of you do when you face the diagnosis of, oh, take your pick, heart, um, cancer, um, death in the family, um, marital problem, what, whatever it is, when you're in the arms of the Lord, through whatever that is, it doesn't guarantee that everything will be okay, but in a certain sense, it guarantees that you as a believer are secure, leaning on the everlasting arms. The king's decree, verses 24 to 27. Uh, 24. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, their, and the lions overpowered them and broke all the bones in pieces before they ever came down to the bottom of the den. Why am I laughing? I'm not, I feel bad for them, especially the kids in the and the wise, I feel bad for them. But if you think for a minute, oh yeah, you know why Daniel was spared? They fed the lions, somebody must have fed the lions. The text tells us before they hit the ground, before, before they, those lions, when they saw fresh meat, they were, they were beside themselves because they had seen fresh meat all night and couldn't eat them. So here, I mean, they were, they were appetizers to them. Boom, it's over. And so, when, oh, you like that, huh? Okay, okay. Uh, King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth. Listen to the testimony that Daniel had in his one night. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree. So he's making another decree. 
that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So he wrote to all the people in his whole kingdom about worshiping the living and the true God. Daniel's faithfulness, Daniel's normalness, his routine never changed. He was a man committed to the Lord before the decree, and he was a man uh, committed to the Lord after the decree. And so the power of his testimony spread to all the kingdom. So what do we learn from all this? Daniel's uh, prospers. First thing we learn, and I started off with it, most known, Daniel's most known for one day in the lion's den than a lifetime in a pagan country. Think about that when we, in terms of our testimony and what we do. He served under different leaders and remained loyal. He adapts to change. I told you about the drum, and I'm being, I joke a little bit. There's some of you here who think a drum is of the devil. I know there are, because I've met some of you. If you say that that music is wrong, you've got to deal with the Older Testament text. One of the reasons Friends of Israel did the, D, uh, the CD that John did is to give you a taste of Israeli music. Look, from a Jewish point of view, I remember the first time someone shared the gospel with me. I was on the campus of Kent State University. And I, I heard, it wasn't a great, it wasn't an ideal way of how to share your faith. I got to tell you, I was pretty upset. But one of the lines during that period of time was, if you were to die today, what would you, where would you be? From a Jewish point of view, if you're asking a 20-year-old person, if you were to die today. Some of us do that in our youth groups. If you were to die today. You know what the Jewish response is? You Christians, all you think about is dying. Dying today. We think about living. What about life? I've been to some weddings. Now, Jewish weddings are different than Christian weddings, and I got married in a Christian wedding. But Jewish weddings are entirely different. Some Jewish weddings, I mean, some Christian weddings are almost like someone died. Right. It's just, it's a, we, don't do, I, we don't do that. Oh, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't. What do you do? At a Jewish wedding, people are happy. L'chaim. Life. So I'm all for telling people about Jesus Christ and how he saves, but you're not going to be so attractive. Come to this life. Here's what we do. It's not going to be too attractive. Adapt to change. Uh, we're part of a generation that's moving on. There's another generation coming in, and that generation is the one that, the, if he tarries, the Lord is going to use to keep his church moving. So we better get with it. Daniel was a man who can adapt to change. He was faithful to the king and faithful as a servant to God. Faithful to both. Some of us still are working. Are you faithful to your employer? 
Do you work as though you're working for God, or are you trying to get out of something? I'll confess to you, when I was in uh, college, my uncle got me a job working at this uh, kind of factory place, and uh, he was in a, a, a middle management position, and so he told me, he gave me some pointers how to get out of work, how to get out of work. Oh, they won't see you over here. And that was, worked for me. I was, I was into that. Well, Christians shouldn't be involved. We're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever your job is, do it faithfully. That's what, that's what Daniel did. And so as we think of Daniel and his faithfulness and see that God is faithful to him, we ought to, we ought to think the same way in our lives. And so Daniel chapter 6, last part of the narrative, Daniel's a faithful guy. Hopefully we'll be faithful people uh, as we serve him together. For more audio resources, including MP3 downloads of past Prophecy Conferences, visit us at foi.org.